The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. Acts chapter 20 is famous because Paul calls for the Ephesian elders to meet him in Miletus. And so they meet Paul and Paul gives in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through the end, uh, really one of the most uh, amazing and, and succinct um, pastoral type exhortations. There's wonderful, rich uh, theology for the church, but there's also these, these wonderful exhortations. And he says in verse 24, he says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the great gospel of the grace of God. So I'd like for us just to keep that in mind. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received. Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you, Lord, we thank you for, uh, for the rich meals that you have been serving to us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us even in this hour. We ask that you would give us alert minds and we pray that you'd help us to concentrate, pray that you'd help me. But Father, we pray that you would minister to us through your word and we pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen our perspective strengthen our faith, deepen our relationship with you. Father, we thank you for this life that you've given to us, and we pray that you would help us now as we seek to look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this is, uh, it's, it's really an amazing providence. I don't mean to embarrass you, brother, but over here is Neil Almeida, and Neil and his wife were a part of our church over 20 years ago, right? Uh, and so it's actually, it's just wonderful that you're, that you're here. Um, in September of 1993, my wife and I, and at that time two kids, moved from Portland, Oregon, where I'd finished seminary, and we drove down to the Carson Valley in Nevada. And we planted Grace Community Church, which is located in Minden, Nevada. And does anybody know where Minden is? I know you know, some of you know. It really, if you have to live in Nevada, that's where you should live, all right? It is absolutely beautiful. It is in this, uh, it's high elevation, surrounded by mountains. We got the Sierras to the, the west, and then South Lake Tahoe is 30 minutes away. It's a beautiful place, wonderful place to raise kids. And, and um, so we moved there from Portland in 1993 and started Grace Community Church officially on March 6, 1994. So we just had our 25th anniversary. So if you stop and think, um, September 93, in a week and a half, I'm going to be 52. I was 26 when we moved to Nevada. So for half of my entire life, I have been Pastor Brian of Grace Community Church for half of my life. Not just half of my adult life, half of my entire life, right? And of course, I am Ariel's husband. That's probably what I'm most famous for. Um, I am Ashley and Zach and Alex's dad. I am Calvin and Sean and Elliot's grandpa, but I'm a pastor. And the way that, um, that I look at my life, I'm bound to a people and to a place and to a ministry. And so this question, am I my ministry? is a really great question to ask, right? So some of you are in vocational ministry and you are 
pastors or teachers. Others of you are committed to serving Christ in your local church. You're involved. Uh, many of you are going to be involved in counseling, which is why you are here. You are um, elders, church staff, Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers, counselors. And so all of us here in, in one way or another have a ministry that we do. It's, and, and, and what I want us to do in, in our hour together is I want us to think about this question about whether or not you are your ministry. Now, I, I, know, that, I know the stock answer, and, but I don't want to give the stock answer. Now, most of the time when we do workshops, the workshops are for equipping uh, us to counsel better, all right? But as I prepared this workshop, I prepared this workshop specifically for my edification and your edification, all right? Just assuming that you are all involved in ministry to one degree or another. So the first thing I'd like to do is I'd like us to think about, first of all, the blessings of calling in ministry, all right? So the, the first thing that we have to recognize is that, is that if you are a Christian, there is a calling on your life, and that calling was, first of all, unto salvation, but that calling is also unto ministry and service, all right? Um, too often what we do is we really sort of separate these things out, um, but I'd like you to look at the way Paul views his ministry, and uh, of course the Acts 20 passage is great, but in Galatians chapter 1, let me, just, let me just really quickly qualify. There are no Apostle Pauls in here. Let me just also qualify. There are no apostles in here. All right, so the call to apostleship was an extraordinary call to an extraordinary office. We have an ordinary call to ordinary areas of service. All right, but I think that the principle is important to see. So this is the way that Paul describes his own calling. Galatians 1 and verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. We'll just stop. Okay. Now, now what is that call that he's talking about? Set apart from his mother's womb, called through his grace to reveal his son. We would say in theological language, that was the effectual call of God in Paul's life, right? That's where God invaded Paul's life on the road uh, to Damascus and, and, and intervened and, and, uh, opened his eyes and took him from death to life, right? That's the effectual call. That's regeneration. Uh, by the way, God wasn't a gentleman. He didn't ask for Saul's permission. He just did it, all right? But then notice what he says. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me so that, you, you get the so that, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, and so when we think about what God has done for us, there is a, a, a wonderful sense. And maybe you remember when God saved you. Maybe you don't. You know you're saved now. That, none of that matters. What matters is, is that you see God's work in your life, his saving work in your life in bringing you to his son. And there is a great so that. And the so that is not simply so that you don't go to hell or so that you go to heaven. It is he revealed his son in you so that you would serve him. Okay? So that your life would be his. Right? And so here is this wonderful sense where, where calling is in, in, in one sense salvific. That's God saving us but it is also a calling unto service, and you can't separate the two. Okay. Second, the Holy Spirit 
has sovereignly given you, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has sovereignly given you gifts and ministries. Okay. This is, this is an interesting thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. Um, we read 1 Corinthians 12, and you know what we do? We go, what we have to do now is create a spiritual gift inventory list and give people tests, okay? <laughs> now, <laughs> I think that Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12 is not to get you to take a test to figure out specifically what your gift is. Now, I know that's probably not where some of you are, but I don't think that that's the emphasis. I, there's no place where Paul says, find out your gift. He just says, there's one spirit that's at work in all of God's people, and this one spirit has given a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries or services, and the one God works a variety of results or effects, all right? It's actually wonderfully Trinitarian in this section. And so, so here's, here's the point, is that when God saved you, He saved you to service, which is absolutely true, but He also gave you certain abilities. Now, some of those abilities may be natural abilities that are now sanctified for the Master's use, right? Uh, other abilities may be supernatural that you didn't have before, right? And some of you, you begin to serve, and that's what happens, right? You begin to serve, and you start to see where God has gifted you or equipped you, right? Sometimes you start to serve in a ministry, and you start to realize maybe that's not where I'm gifted, Right? But a person that's got a transformed heart of a servant doesn't say, well, I scored low on the spiritual gift test in this area, so I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay? A person with a servant's heart actually says, as long as I'm needed in this area of service and in this ministry, I will do it until somebody better comes along, all right? And so you've been given gifts, but you've also been given ministries or areas of service, and the Spirit of God sovereignly distributes those as He pleases. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 4 through 11. So you have a calling unto service. The Spirit has sovereignly gifted you and given you ministries, and God's call on your life should shape the direction and the priorities of your life, right? So I got saved when I was 13 years old, okay? Raised in a Roman Catholic family, and God saved me at 13. And at 13 years old, um, I, didn't know, I, did, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, didn't, I knew that I was like the blind man in John 9, right? I don't know much, but what I know is I was blind, but now I see, right? And, but, but there was something in me. I just wanted to serve the Lord, right? That was, to me, that was what life was about. Even at 13, 14 years old, the, life is about telling people about Jesus. Life is about serving people. Life is about serving in the church. Life is about, is about Christ, right? Isn't that what Paul says in Acts 20, 24? My life is really nothing. What really matters is that I finish the course that, this, that the Lord has given me in the area of service that he's put me in. Right? That's what matters. Now, it's um, sort of an interesting observation that um, many of us came up, did I, did I just describe, did that resonate with some of you? Like, I got saved and that's what, that's what life was about, right? And I'd go to missions. I went to Biola and uh, 
we'd have mission conferences, and I remember George Verwer, anybody remember George Verwer, Operation Mobilization, the guy would buy all his clothes from a thrift store, and, and, and this guy was just on fire, and he would talk about serving the Lord and serving Christ and doing missions, and there was like, yes, right? So David Platt, a few years ago, writes a book called Radical, right? Okay. Michael Horton writes a book a couple years after that called Ordinary. <laughs> so on the one hand, you got people that are like, be radical, be transformed. All of your life is about doing things for God, right? So there's William Carey, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And then there's um, ordinary. Okay? Now, I don't want to minimize ordinary because as a pastor, I believe in the ordinary means of grace. I believe in the simplicity of preaching the word and administering the ordinances and, and doing the ordinary things. But it is, it is sort of an interesting little um, conflict of perspective about the way the Christian life is to be lived, right? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Ordinary. <laughs> okay, now, don't, don't read too much into that. But this is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff that ignited my heart as a young Christian. Jim Elliott's journal entry. He says, he makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? In me there dwells the Spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Now, I start like this because... I want us to be absolutely convinced that the life of the minister, and if you're ministering, consider yourself a minister, the life of the minister is the life of his or her ministry. Okay? So in a sense, I, I want to say, uh, am I my ministry? And there, there is a sense in which I want to give a resounding, earnest yes this is what God has called me to do. This is what God has, has, has put me on this earth to do. If, if it wasn't to do this, then why not save me and kill me? Just take me to heaven, right? So on the one hand, the blessings of a life that is, that is lived in conscientious service to Christ is a wonderful life. So this coming September, I will have been walking with the Lord for 39 years. And I would not trade those 39 years for anything. All of the hardships, all the trials, the mountaintops, the valleys, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Walking with Jesus and serving Jesus is life. But there are pitfalls, right, and challenges for people who set their eyes on ministry, all right? Now, the first one that I'm going to give you, I don't think really applies to anybody here. And uh, if it does, you can sneak out quietly. <laughs> Some people might enter ministry without a sense of call and approach it like a job, okay? This is, I was in seminary up in Portland. We'd come down to Sacramento where I grew up, and we would go to church with my parents, and my mom and dad said, hey, there's a new church plant in a city, I won't say where it was, in a city near us, and some friends are going to this church plant. And so I'd been thinking about church planting. So I thought, well, that'd be great to go. And we get there and they're meeting in, a, in an office building area. And it's probably about 80 people or so. And the guy gets up and, and, 
and he says, um, he, he's making the announcements, and he says, you need to stop calling me before nine and after five. I'm sitting there thinking, he goes, my hours are nine to five. When I get home, that's family time. That's not your time. And you know what I was thinking to myself? This guy ought to quit and do something else. Right? What, what, just think for a, as a pastor, what are pastor's hours? Right? What are pastor's hours? Right? You, I mean, you don't go like, you're, you know, you're calling me after five. Um, if, if you're going to get in a car accident, do it between the hours of nine and five. All right? Okay? So, so the, the, the whole idea of people entering into the ministry and looking at it as a career, right? Right? That's what we were he- hearing about earlier, right? The, um, uh, George Scipione's thing. A career, right? A career. So that's, by the way, that's not Christ-centered, Christ-exalting ministry. It's a job. And anybody that's called to ministry knows that it's not just a job. Second challenge or pitfall is that some may enter the ministry without appropriate sensitivity to family. A couple years ago, I took two A.W. Tozer biographies with me on vacation. And um, anybody like Tozer? You read Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy, Pursuit of God, right? So, and um, uh, those books had profound impact on me as a young Christian. So I'm reading these Tozer biographies. And Tozer actually was a terrible husband and a terrible father. And I was reading this, and I was getting depressed. And I'd say, Ariel, listen to this. And I'd read it. She goes, that's awful. That's so just so depressing. And, and uh, his oldest son said at one point, my dad always took more interest in his interns and associates than he ever did any of the kids. Never consulted with his wife. He would come home and he would say, uh, I got a new call to a different church. Start packing up. Absolutely oblivious to the needs of his family, Right? So on the one hand, you can go into it as like a job, and my family time is from 7 to 9 and then 5 and don't pass and then don't interrupt me, and so I've got this job mentality. The other mentality is is that ministry is so consuming and so all-important that my family doesn't matter, and they, they need to be willing to make the sacrifices whether they want to or not. Profound mistake. Profound mistake. All right? Now, as far as where we're at today, I think most, um, well, we'll talk about that when we get the priorities. All right. Um, Number three. So sometimes we can so identify with our ministry that we forget the body of Christ or the importance of receiving ministry. (laughs) You ever met anybody like that? Maybe, Maybe actually you've fallen into that before. Right. So our ministry or our our duties, our responsibilities at church um, can end up eclipsing the fact that I'm a part of the body and I need the nurture and the nourishment of the body just as much as everybody else. Right. So so here's here's the thing that I've noticed is that pastors are bad about this. Okay. Uh, they, they, they oftentimes will look at their pastoral duties and responsibilities and they so focus on those things that they forget that they have basic fundamental spiritual needs that are only met in the body. And so they end up in a sense sort of cutting themselves off, right? Um, I've noticed the same thing, lo and behold, about biblical counselors from time to time. Right. So, oh, surprise. Right. So so you get a person and they get they get trained and they get all this knowledge and all this information and they're they're engaged in counseling. And and then here's the thing. They're always in counseling mode. 
and they never learn to actually receive anything because they're always running through the, you know, they're, they're actually analyzing you all the time. <laughs> Trying to diagnose what your problem is, right? And, and, and here's the thing is that as no matter what our ministry is, we need the body just as much as everybody else needs the body. Doesn't matter what you know. Doesn't matter what you can do. Doesn't matter what your gifts are. You need the body of Christ. There's this great uh, passage in Romans chapter 1. This will be familiar to some of you. So this is an introduction. Paul's talking. He'd never been to Rome before. And so the, the church in Rome was not planted by Paul. And so he says in Romans 1, 9, he says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Right? For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. After all, I'm an apostle. And I've seen the risen Christ. And I know way more than all of you put together. It's not exactly what he means. Verse 12. That is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us by the other's faith both yours and mine. And really, what, what, what a wonderful thing. I mean, here's the apostle. He, he's seen the resurrected Christ. He's received direct revelation from the resurrected Christ. He writes half of our New Testament in terms of numbers of books. And, and yet what he says is, I want to I come and see you. I want to see you face to face. And I want to see you so that I can bless you, impart a, a spiritual gift, a grace to you, but also so that I can be encouraged by you. So that your faith can encourage me. My faith can encourage you. So if that was the apostle's attitude, I mean, how much more should that be our attitude, right? So here's the, uh, here's the little old lady that's never been to an IBCD conference, and she's never actually even read a J. Adams book, but she's been reading her Bible for 60 years. And she prays. And 10 minutes with her may do you more good than six years of conferences, okay? But sometimes we forget that, right? And so the, what, what is the body? So the body is Christ giving gifts, Ephesians 4.11, right? The uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the building up of the body, right? For works of service. And so what are we? We are, we are joints and we are ligaments that are being fit together. And we are actually building each other up in love, speaking truth to one another. Notice it's not just those who are certified speak truth to others. Others, but we speak truth to one another. We all need the body. And it's too easy to forget. And so watch out for yourself and for others who are so busy doing ministry that you never receive ministry. Pastors need pastoring. Do you believe that? Preachers need to be preached to. Counselors need counsel, right? Okay. Another pitfall or challenge, it's possible to substitute ministry for Jesus. Now, <clears throat> this sounds a little odd because we think of ministry simply as serving Jesus, and we should, but sometimes ministry can be a subtle substitute for Jesus, Dave Kraft, in his book on mistakes that leaders make, he says, Our identity in an intimacy with Jesus slowly dissipates, and over time the ministry begins to occupy center stage in our affections, our time, and our focus. And then it's all downhill from there in a leader's life and ministry, right? Have you ever seen that happen, by the way? Things become more professionalized. The growth of the church or the growth of a ministry 
is dependent or seems to be dependent on the giftedness and the leadership of a person and that person becomes so uh, consumed in that 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 they begin to lose sight so 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 that um, the person could virtually become an atheist and yet still continue to do what he's doing. Paul Tripp in his book, Dangerous Ministries, anybody? Is it Dangerous Ministries or Dangerous Callings? Callings, Dangerous Callings, sorry. (laughs) There is a section, by by the way, um, Paul Tripp has a wonderful ability, as you well know, to slice you and dice you and leave you for dead and then bandage you back up (laughs) and you wonder how it all happened, right? He says... At the, this is at the end of the book. He says, here are some signs that you can look for in your life and ministry that indicate your work as an instrument of grace has caused you to forget or deny your identity as a recipient of the same grace. You got that? So you're an instrument of grace, but here are some indications that we have forgotten that we're a recipient of that same grace that we're an instrument of. The Bible has ceased being a mirror. The first sign is a change in your relationship to the Word of God. The Bible has ceased being a mirror for you and is used only as a tool for ministry to others. You think pastors can fall into that? The only time they open their Bible is to get sermon material. You think a counselor can fall into that? The only time they open their Bible is to get their, their bullets for the next counseling session. He goes on, you can read it on your own. Worship morphs from private quest to public duty. Worship morphs from a humble, grateful, private quest to something you lead as a public duty. Right? So, here's, here's the picture, is that what we are in the, in the corporate assembly uh, is, is actually not reflected of what we really are when we're in private with God. Christianity becomes a system rather than a relationship. (laughs) By the way, biblical counselors can fall into this very easily, you know, because you can start you can start thinking, I have the system down. I have the tools. I'm I'm equipped. I have I have my, you know, my inventory lists. I have my 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 homework sheets. I have my books I have and, and I'm equipped to do this. And then you start to forget that it depends upon the living Christ and the power of his spirit if you're ever going to help anybody. Okay. So you become more concerned about a system of redemption than a personal relationship and communion with a redeemer. Uh, Your desire, this is incredibly uh, convicting, your desire to master content is not coupled with craving. Another sign of the loss of your recipient identity is that your desire to master content of the word is not coupled with a craving that your heart would be mastered by the word of God. Right? We go to we want to master the word, but we forgot that the, that the priority for us as God's people is to be mastered by the word. Right? <laughs> Number five, you think that was bad, it gets worse. <laughs> You have more concern for the sin of others than for your own sin. Yikes. Forgetting your recipient identity will also result in you having a concern for others that overwhelms grief for yourself. Who of us has not sat in front of a gifted preacher and listened for someone else? Oh, none of us would do that. You're not personally hungry and grateful as you listen, right? So we're more concerned about the sins of other people, excusing the stuff that's going on in our own life. How many times have we found pastors or, or, or counselors actually engaged in ministry, doing the work of ministry, leading, in essence, a double life? Committing sins and living a life that's far worse than anything they're dealing with in their counselees. Finally, the pride of knowing replaces the humility of being known. Okay. Well, I recommend that to you. I recommend the book to you. But here's the thing is that it is it is easy for us to substitute ministry for Jesus. Okay? 
Finally, and I just touch on this briefly, it's possible to burn out while serving in ministry. So when I was young, I'm still young, all right? But when I was younger, I used to think burnout was a myth. Okay? Any of those of you who were younger at one time ever think, yeah, burnout, that's a myth. That's an excuse for people that are, you know, lazy, right? I'd rather, you know, we'd have these little pithy uh, sayings, you know, I'd rather burn out than rust out. <laughs> well, burnout in and of itself is an interesting topic, but and should certainly be given more attention. But here's, here's the reality. So Pastor Al Martin in his book, uh, You Lift Me Up, which is a terrible title for a really good book on pastoral ministry, he says, a, he, he defines burnout like this. He says, a gradual erosion of one's mental, emotional, psychological, and physical resiliency and buoyancy, which begins to, which begins to hang like an ominous dark cloud over one's life and ministry. Ministerial burnout has overtaken us when our mental activities are not occasionally dull and sluggish, but chronically and overwhelmingly dull and sluggish. That condition in which we have lost most of the ability to feel deeply concerning the great realities in which we traffic. Okay? Is it possible for you to be in ministry and to start to burn out? And the answer is yes. And here's how you start to know. It's not just a matter of being occasionally dull or sluggish. Anybody occasionally dull or sluggish? Okay. Yeah, sure. All of us are. But if it is chronic, if, it, if, if, if every single counseling session to you seems like you would rather do the, 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 the baton death march or whatever it was, right? If you would rather have your fingernails pulled out than do one more, if you look at the text and you need to prepare a sermon and it is you, you would rather look at Facebook than the Bible, right? There, that, that sense of, of, of not being able to bounce back, right? That sense of, of having no interest, no desire, no zeal to do what you know that God's called you to do, right? It can happen. It can happen. And when it does, um, it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed quickly. Because what can happen, and this, this, is, this is not germane to our discussion particularly, but what can happen is that you start to learn to exist or survive in that context, and pretty soon the spiritual life has been sucked right out of you. And now everything you're doing is just an external performance. You know what you're supposed to tell people. You know what you're supposed to say about the Bible. There's no vitality. There's no life. There's no, there's no enthusiasm. There's no excitement about serving the Lord. This is, this is pure drudgery, and it's drudgery week after week. And pretty soon, you start thinking, well, I'll just fake it until I make it. Well, that's not a principle, actually, in God's economy. You start faking it, you are in serious trouble. Serious trouble. So these are the challenges and the pitfalls for those who are in ministry. Uh, what about some counsels for those in ministry? So these are designed, as, as I thought about these, these are designed really to kind of help counteract some of the challenges and pitfalls, all right? So, and this, this relates to this question, am I my ministry? Remember that your first calling is to be an obedient child of God and follower of Jesus, no matter what ministry you have, right? I mean, this is, this is, um, this is your, your first calling. It is actually to follow Jesus. Right? 
no matter what you are doing on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday or any other day, your first calling is to be a follower of Jesus, no matter what ministry you have. You know, it's interesting. We have uh, in our church, we have a lot of homeschoolers. um, And I love homeschooling. I always say we homeschooled our kids. And my wife looks at me like, yeah, what did you do? Um, So I say we in the sense that we're one flesh and what she does, I do. Um, I actually did homeschool my son and one of the girls in our church for one semester. And and uh, I, I basically farmed out all the work. And, and then when I actually had to do it, I, I let him watch Sergeant York over and over <laughs> and said it was history. Anyway, it, which it is. But anyway, so I love homeschooling. I love, uh, you know, all of that. But one of the things that I need to remind our, our moms of regularly is that before you're a mother, before you're a wife, before you're a homeschooler, before you give birth to babies at home in a bathtub, before you bake your own bread, you're a follower of Jesus. And that doesn't change whether you have zero kids or 10, whether you homeschool or send them to a Christian school, it doesn't matter. You are a follower of Jesus. And that's, that's one of the things that you want to say to pastors and biblical counselors is, look, before, before you did any of this, your first calling was actually simply, come and follow me, right? That was the call that you heard, to follow Jesus, and so regardless of what, of what your ministry may or may not be, you are, you are, precedes what you do. What you are precedes what you do. And so as a result of that, and this is, and, and you know, this, this may sound really basic to people, but, but here's the thing, is if you first and foremost above everything else are a follower of Jesus, then maintain the, the basics of an ordinary Christian life. Walk with Jesus, which means you're in his word and you pray and you do it for your own edification because you know that you, that you need it and, and, and you engage in fellowship with other believers because you need it. You know, one of the things that will actually help you avoid the, the, the pitfalls of, of, of ministry is actually looking at every single day as I am absolutely, utterly, completely desperate in my need for Jesus today. Right. So now I don't I don't do this consistently like I want. But when we come to the word. Right. I want to look at my time in the word. I I do not I do not want to come up with a and and I, I, I despise this idea that somehow my preparation time in the word can be my devotional time in the word. Okay. You see guys in seminary all the time. I don't do my devotions anymore. I'm reading the Bible 25 hours a day. No, I, I need to come to this as a child. I need to come to this in the spirit of Psalm 119, 38. Open my eyes so that I can behold wonderful things from your law. I open my mouth wide and panted for your commandments, right? So the picture is actually like the little baby bird just opening up and just waiting to be fed. That's what we need to be. By the way, if you're ever going to effectively minister to people, that needs to be the predominant note of what your Christian life looks like, is a genuine, authentic dependence and desperation for Jesus every day. I go to his word, feed me, Lord, feed me. Right. 
Incline my heart to your testimonies. Open my eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Unite my heart to fear your name. Satisfy me this morning with your loving kindness. And then you pray. This is a confession, but I will tell you, it is easy as a pastor not to pray. And you know you should be praying. And there's all kinds of distractions. And there's all kinds of reasons why I can't spend the time right now, which is a lie. It's a lie. I'm, 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 the Lord knows, this is how bad, perverted, evil we are. The Lord knows my heart. That's what you're going to rely on? <laughs> that's, that's an indictment, not an excuse. All right. The Lord knows my heart. I love these people. I serve these people. So I don't pray for them. Oh, that's awful. Right. And so for me, I know my own tendencies. I know my own weaknesses. And here's, here's the thing. If I sit down to do my devotions at the same desk where my computer is, I'll end up looking at emails before I pray. And once I start looking at emails, I start answering emails, and then I tell myself I'll pray later. And it is a lie. So my wife bought this really nice chair. It's in our living room. And I wake up early. And the only thing I do before I sit down to read my Bible and pray is make coffee. Because coffee is a gift from God. <laughs> Receive all things with gratitude and thanksgiving, right? But I go to, you, 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 you got to go to the word, you got to go to prayer, and you, and you have to say, I have to do this because my well can't run dry. It, my, my well needs to be, and, and so devo a devotional life is absolutely crucial as a follower of Jesus. Desperation in word and prayer, staying in, 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 staying in books that don't just help you professionally, right? You know what I mean, right? So, oh, Ed Welsh has a new book. I better read it so that I can help people, right? Well, how about pick up a biography and read it for your own soul? Or how about pick up J.C. Ryle and read Holiness or, uh, you know, uh, True Religion or read, read something that is actually designed to feed your soul. Don't read just with the idea of, oh, I could use this in a sermon or I could give this to this counselee, right? And then True Fellowship, actually having 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 real, genuine, mutual, like peer fellowship with other Christians where you're talking about things other than, than sports or hobbies, where you're actually talking about the Lord with people. The, one of the things that blows me away is, um, is how difficult it is for some Christians to actually talk about Christ. I said recently in a, in a sermon, it is easier for some of you to talk about politics and brag about Trump than it is for you to talk about the gospel and brag about Jesus. That's true for some people in our church. And it ought not to be. I love the guy that's going to sit down and he doesn't care that I'm the pastor, right? He doesn't care. He's going to sit down and he's going to say, so Brian, what is God doing for you? What has God done for you lately? What has God taught you lately? Right? Or, you know, I kind of saw an attitude with you when you were dealing with somebody. And it's really hard for me to tell you this, but I, I think it was sinful, 
I love brothers like that. And there's only a few of them that actually have the, 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 the guts and the faith to actually do what they're supposed to do, right? So encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, right? So that you don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, right? And so, so here we are. And, and one of the ways that we, that we press on and avoid these pitfalls is by maintaining close communion with Christ. Now, some of, not, not in here, I'm sure, but some people might go, well, that's, that's pietism. You ever hear this? That's pietism. Right. That's almost for the people that would say that that's the, the, the only thing worse than being called a pietist is being called a Baptist. But anyway. And so I, what I want to say is, well, if that's pietism, then God make me a pietist. Right. I want to I want to traffic in the realities of God and his word and his spirit as I walk with his son and serve him in this Life. All right. Number two, uh, don't prioritize in a straight jacket. Now, this is especially for those of you that are really uh, involved, maybe full time. Uh, don't prioritize in a straight jacket. So many of us were taught you prioritize your life sequentially. God, family, work, church. Right. You've got one, two, three, four, five or whatever. And the, this is the order. Right. You, anybody think this way? Right. I want to tell you that um, I'll just say it as tactfully as I can. That's really dumb. <laughs> right? The reason it's dumb is because a sequential list of priorities cannot actually be lived out in real life where there are far too many complexities and way too much chaos. So... All my kids are grown now, but you can ask any, any one of them. There, there's a sense where we never ordered our lives, one, two, three, four. We looked at our life as Christ is at the center and all the priorities of life may be floating around within that circle. So, for instance, there were times where we were going to do something as a family, something very important at church came up. And I would say to my kids, you know what, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to go to the park today or we're not going to be able to go and do this today. Daddy's got to go and do that. But then there would be other times where somebody say, I really need you. I need you now. Uh, This is really important. And I would say, you know what, I'm actually planning a time with my family today and I I wouldn't say this bluntly, but I don't really think it's as important as you think it is. I will call you first thing tomorrow morning, right? So your priorities are floating. Why? Because if you have this sort of this straitjacket mentality of one, two, three, four, um, by the way, when you stop and think about, um, so let's just say God's number one, family's number two, what what does that look like, Right? Does that look like every decision puts family above your kingdom family, right? Or if you got work, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's an unworkable thing. So don't put yourself in this straitjacket. Think in terms of circles of priority and then the way that they can float around depending on the need. Now, you have to be, you have to be honest with yourself because sometimes, I mean, let's face it, there are m- maybe there are, let's say, men in ministry who would rather be out doing ministry than be at home. That can be that ministry can be a really bad excuse for neglecting your family. Right. So we've got to be honest with ourselves that we're not that we're not trying to fool ourselves by this floating priority. But but to have that sense of of. Priorities that that revolve around Christ, right? And so serving him is the is the center. Number three is remember that your ministries are given to you by God, but your ministry is simply that sphere where you serve and you exercise your gifts. So here's the thing. Ministries may change. So 
ministries may change. Fields of labor may change. Okay. So here's, here's what I'm saying is that what you have, what you're doing right now, that's given to you by God. But what's been given to you by God is, is a sphere in which you exercise the gifts that God gave you and you serve Christ in that sphere. There's no guarantee that that sphere is going to be yours for the rest of your life. So don't think of that sphere as yours. Okay? Because it may be taken away. It may be taken away through our own fault. It may be taken away because of unforeseen health issues. Okay. I'll tell you, I had, uh, I had brain surgery three years ago. And uh, 11 and a half hour surgery to remove a tumor deep in my brain that was the size of a, a silly putty egg. Okay. So... This is how I honestly thought about it. I thought, okay, if I die, I go to be with the Lord. I don't want to die, okay? But if I die, I'll go and be with the Lord. That wasn't my fear, okay? It was wrapped around the carotid arteries in my brain, and, and, um, and it was constricting. It was growing into my uh, optic nerve canal, so I was losing sight in my left eye and all that. And my biggest fear, my biggest fear was not dying. My biggest fear was coming out with diminished mental capacities that would disqualify me from ministry. That's what I was afraid of. Because I could not wrap my mind around what life would be like not doing what I'm doing. Now, it didn't turn out that way. But here's the thing, is that I may be Pastor Brian of Grace Community Church, but I don't possess that sphere of ministry. God has given that to me, and I don't know how long. I don't. It could have been done with three years ago. It's not. Thank God for that. Another friend of mine in ministry started two or three years before I did and had celebrated nearly 20 years in one place, got called to another place where he was there um, and ended up finding out that he was uh, uh, had committed adultery a couple times, disqualified himself from ministry. So all those years... Now, now, he's no longer in that sphere of ministry that God had used him in for so long. He disqualified himself. That's not his identity anymore, right? So, so you have to look at the ministry that God has given to you. It's a stewardship that can be taken from you at any time, right? So Jim Neuheiser and I have been friends for a long time, since 96 or 97, right? And so the very idea when he first told me that I, I might go to Charlotte, I was like, well, you can't do that. You belong at Grace Bible Church. That's you. Right. Well, not in God's economy. Right. So be careful of the idea of possessing a ministry that is only given to you temporarily as a stewardship. And then finally, even when a ministry may end for any reason, your calling as God's child and Christ's disciple does not end. Even that man that disqualified himself from ministry, if he's truly repentant, he's still a disciple of Jesus, even if he's now selling insurance. Right? Okay. And so ministries may end, but your calling as God's child never does. All right? Okay, we have two and a half minutes for questions. I, I design it that way because, you know. <laughs> All right, no questions? Good. Notice I don't give you much time either. 
All right, well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for everyone that's in this room today, and we thank you for the gifts and the ministries that you've given to each one here. And uh, Father, we pray that these truths and these scriptures uh, would be encouraging and pray, Father, that we really would live our lives uh, zealously for you, serving you with all of our might. And Father, we pray that whatever you put in front of us, that we would do it for your glory, dependent upon your grace and your spirit. And Father, we pray that uh, even today you would just remind us that we are first and foremost your children and Jesus' disciples. And we pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.